me pray, and let's get to what we're really excited about, which is getting to God's Word this morning. This is what we do. It's what we're all about, right, church? Well, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, not for facilities, but, but God, that you no longer dwell in the tabernacle. You don't dwell in the temple. You don't dwell in things made by human hands. But Jesus Christ, you came and you, you redeemed me. You sanctified me from my sin. You made me holy as you are holy. And you made your home inside of me. Amazing God that we get to move into a facility like that. And I pray you use it to your glory. But what's the most amazing thing in all of history is God that you dwell in us. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes that possible. And so today, as we dive into your word and we look at Colossians, Father, I pray that as your people, people who are indwelt by you, I pray that we'd be mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, workers and bosses. We'd be the kind of people who, wherever we are, we sow seeds of the kingdom and make things better because we have God in us. We don't need a church building to be your church. We've got Jesus, and that's all we need. Praise be to Jesus. Amen. All right. You know, hey, I grew up playing sports, so for me, my pastors growing up were not church people. They were coaches, all right? My pastors were coaches, and my coaches cussed a lot, but they were awesome. And uh, the thing about coaches that I love and think about generals and the best generals, the best captains, the best coaches is they always call you to something bigger than what you're doing. They always call you something bigger. I can vividly remember sitting uh, in this locker room, which is at, in the basement of this big basketball gym. We're in the basement, this red carpet sitting there, all the football players. I'm a freshman, got the pads. We're about to go out, and we're undefeated in New Mexico, which still means something more than Wyoming. And um, I got some eyes on me right now. And we're sitting there, and we're about to go, and we're going to play for regionals against this team, and it's going to be a tough game. And I remember sitting there. I'm already getting goosebumps. And my, I, I can vividly see my coach standing in front of me, and he just launches into this speech. And this man was a man of speeches. And he gives this speech that I cannot repeat to you because it was, it's inappropriate in this space. But he said some things, and I remember I was ready to leave there. And if he would have said, hey, I want you to run through that, that wall right there, Greg Brooks, I would have just went headfirst into it. I was so pumped and excited. And we're just going to play football, which is a game, right? It's just a game. Like, the world's not going to be a better place based on how well we were doing that game. But I felt like going out there, I was fighting for brotherhood. I was fighting for my friends. Like, somebody was going to die today, and we were going to save some lives. Like, it was going to be amazing, right? And that's the thing that our coaches and captains call us to. And what Paul's going to do in here in this passage is he's going to do the same thing. He's going to take everyday normal things that we just take for granted, we dive into, we do, and he's going to showcase to them that the reason why you are living with so much, you know, let down in your life in those, these areas is because you're not living for something more. And he's going to show us how living for something more can have such a huge impact on not just our lives today, but on eternity forever. And those two areas are in our family and are in our jobs. So he's going to talk about today, we're going to talk about living for God in our families, living for God in our jobs, 
And then we're going to talk about the end, some practical steps you could take in those ways that will change everything in this life and in the next. You ready to do this? So we're going to kick off in the family. So you're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. So if you've got a Bible, go there. Colossians 3, verse 18, okay, in the New Testament. Scroll there, swipe there, whatever you've got to do. We're going to start in the family. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. This is a letter written by a guy uh, who is in prison. He's writing this letter to these people who he's never met. And they are a church. They are a group of people just like you who live in a mountain town. Colossae is right near, it's at the base of these mountains. It's right near Laodicea. And they are people just like us. They're single people in Colossae. There's married couples with great marriages and horrible marriages, just like us. There are people in that town who've got kids, just like us, obedient kids and disobedient kids. They got both. They're just like us. So guys, as we read through this, realize this is not just contextual for their day in Colossae in the Greco-Roman world. God's truth is true across all time. And it's just for mountain people like us and Cody, as much as it is for Colossae. So let's go. Verse 18. So what's going to happen? He's going to talk to four people in the household, and he's going to give each one of them a verb, something to do. It's very straightforward, very simple, and he's going to start with the wives. Rives, you ready for this? Where are, my, where are my wives and moms and ladies at? Okay, there we go. You just raise your hand. He says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let me just read it one more time just in case, you know. You missed the simplicity of that. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So wives, your word, your verb is submit. He says that the Lord sees it as fitting that you submit to your husband. To follow Jesus well is what he's saying is you're going to submit to your husband. I don't know how else to say that. How do you feel about that? Does it make anybody feel a little strange on the inside? Here's what I'm telling you. I'm a pastor in the West. I know somebody doesn't like this. It makes you feel uncomfortable, okay? I know somebody wants me to say to you that actually in the Greek, what it really means is to partner with. But that's, I'm just sorry to say, not what it says. You want to know what this Greek word literally means? It literally means to bring under control or put in subjection. So here's what I want to tell you. The ESV is doing the best it can by saying submit. They're trying to make it as easy as possible. Now here is the question. What do we do with this? Is this just contextual? Is this for that day? What do we do with this? Well, the answer to that question, ladies, depends on whether Jesus is your Lord. The answer of what we do with this depends on whether or not Jesus is your Lord. Ladies, is Jesus your Lord? Anyone? Is Jesus your Lord? Okay. If you were going to say, and some of you, he's not your Lord, so just understand, no pressure. But if you were going to say that Jesus is your Lord, then I am going to automatically assume that you believe that God is good and that all his ways are good at all times In all ways, he is good. So what do we do with this? If we believe that God is good, we trust God in it. Your husband may not be good, but is God good? 
And so we seek to understand what God's good ways are. If you go over to Ephesians 5, this letter was in the same bag. The Colossian letter was in the same bag as Ephesians and another one called Philemon. And so the Ephesians letter probably was dropped off before this because it was down at the coast. And in Ephesians, there's a little more detail. So in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, if you want to go there, you can. I think it might be on the screen. We'll see. It says this. It gives a little more details, wives. So it, 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 we got to seek to understand a little bit more. And so he says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So as you submit to the Lord, submit through your husband to him. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now pay attention. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So in this passage, what is it saying? We come to understand that the subjection is not a loathsome, begrudging submission. It's compared to the church's loving submission to Jesus. And this is right and good, that we, the church, submit to Christ. And that's what he compares it to. In the same way, a wife should lovingly come under the headship, which simply means leadership of the husband, okay? So listen to me. It says nothing of the woman's value. It says everything about the woman's role. You still might not like this, and I'm doing the best I can, but I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, and I'm sticking with it, not your emotions. It says nothing about the woman's value, everything about a woman's role. The only person who gets to tell a woman what their value is, women, the only person you should ever listen to when it comes to understanding what your value is, is the person who saved you, justified you, sanctified you, and adopted you as his daughter. He is the only one who gets to tell you what your value is. Not your husband, not some leader, not the government, not Oprah, nobody else. Maybe none of you listen to Oprah. The only one who gets to tell you your value is Jesus. And so men, if these women, if they trust in Jesus, if they've been adopted by Jesus, they have a value like you don't even understand. And so when we read this next verse for men, you should pay attention to the fact that these are God's daughters before they're ever our wives. So let's read the next one. Ladies are like, please move on. <laughs> husbands, here's your verb. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. All right? The word for love here is, comes from the Greek word agape. It's kind of from that root word, which really means sacrificial devotion and commitment. And that's appropriate because if you go over, again, to the sister letter in Ephesians 5, look at how Jesus compares this to Jesus, uh, how, or, uh, how Paul compares this to Jesus' love. Ephesians 5.25, he says, husbands, young men, listen to this. Before you get married, you better check this out. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's quite a standard. Like, I cannot think of a higher standard than love your wives by being willing to get beat, slapped, ridiculed, whipped, abandoned, crucified for the sake of your bride. Any of the husbands in here, when you were like sitting there holding her hand, you're thinking about how beautiful it was, she's like, you're like, I will get crucified to a cross for you. Maybe in that moment you thought so. Maybe in that moment. But about 15 years later, you're like, listen, I'm going to crucify you. <laughs> this is exactly what God has called us to. 
Sin and the fall caused abuse and abusive men. So God's not calling women to submit to abusive men. He's calling women to live in submission to in a role understanding as well as men to lead, but lead how? With love that is willing to lay its life down for the sake of this daughter of God. That's the standard. So we're not called to use our strength, our size, our words to intimidate and coerce and be harsh with these women. We're called to gently and powerfully, with sacrificial love, lead them into flourishing in life. All right, let's move on. They didn't say much, so I can't, I can't say too much. Verse 20, kids, where are my kids at? Anybody a kid? Every one of you are kids, but there's two right here. All right, loud and proud. Kids, children, it says this, verse 20. You ready for your verb? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, <laughs> that was the greatest, like, feedback I've ever received from you. <laughs> There's some kids, listen, your parents are, they're this close, okay? Your word, kids, is obey in everything. Now, that does not mean your parents can ask you to sin and you have to obey. It's not what it means. But it means, kids, if Jesus is your Lord, I want you to listen to me. Students, if Jesus is your Lord, it means that you are going to worship God through your obedience to your parents. You're living for something much higher than your parents. You don't live for their pleasure. You're not living for their approval. You're not living for their clean house. But you live for God, and so you obey God through your parents. Okay, so listen, it's, don't, it's not just about being afraid of your parents and what they might do. It's the God that you say you love who saved you, sanctified you, adopted you into his family saying, I need you to listen to me these people that I have entrusted you to. We are called to, as kids, do that. And man, listen, our Bible says that's the first commandment with a promise. If you go to the Ten Commandments, one of them is, uh, honor your father and your mother, that you, your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. It is connected to long life and blessing. So kiddos, I know right now you're not thinking retirement, you're not thinking long life, but man, are you thinking about God? You thinking about following him well? Then following him well means that you're going to listen to your parents. You're going to obey. And I, I want to be honest with you. Every one of your parents did not do a good job at this. Neither did I. But I'm seeing that following God means that we can do it well because we love him. We're called to something more. Okay? We're called to do this well. But listen, dads, where are my dads at? Okay. Let's go. All right? Where are my, uh, where are my single guys at? <laughs> oh, jeez. Come on, guys. Represent. Right? And when I say single, I mean not married. Okay? So if you're dating somebody, you can still, you know, pipe up. So, guys, I want all men, I want all parents, moms, I want all, everyone to listen. This is what he says. He says, fathers. Verse 21. This is what he says. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The children that God has given us, guys, are a gift. Whether they're your kids or not, as a church, friends, listen to me. The kids back there, the kids in this room, they are a gift from God. Every single one of them, whether they're yours or not, is meant to be discipled, stewarded, and encouraged to the glory of God. We get 18 some odd years with each one of these kids, 
And in that time, they're ours, but they're not really ours. They are God's people, physically created in our image, but spiritually created in the image of God. We're just entrusted with them for a time, for a season. So while we want them to listen and obey us, we have to give up our control issues and begin to encourage them towards God. I'm horrible at this, and I need help. In other words, we are called to parent for God's bragging rights, not our own bragging rights, parents. Our identity is in the gospel, not in our kids' success. Let me say that again. Our identity is in the gospel, not in our kids' success. Our greatest success will be a parenting style that encourages our kids to place their identity in the gospel with us. Next week, go back and replay that on the podcast about six times, but I'm going to move on. That's what we're called to do, parents, to love and steward these kids. we got to move on. So what are the four words we get? It's wives, you're going to submit. Husbands, you're going to love. Kids, you're going to obey. Parents, we're going to encourage. We're going to disciple. And we're doing this, why? Because we're really doing it all for God through these opportunities called our families. Do you see that? Bonnie and I were talking about that last night, how if you really pause to think about that, it really changes everything. It changes everything. We're going to keep going because there's a lot of things in the next section that still apply to parenting, but it's going to start going into our business and in our jobs. Okay, you ready for this? Because here's the thing. Colossae was not just a town full of families. It was also a town full of jobs and businesses. So let's talk about living for God at work. All right? So in Colossae, there are bosses, there are businesses, there are employees, there are masters, and there's what's called bond servants, which is a really kind biblical way of saying slaves. And there's a lot of them. Okay? Slavery in the Greco Roman world is not like what you remember slavery to be in the last two, three hundred years. It's not like that. It's similar in a lot of ways. Uh, for, for instance, one, a slave is a piece of property to a master in the Roman world. But there's a lot of ways that you came to slave. A lot of, some people would choose that as a financial route. Uh, some people, if they committed a crime, they would end up becoming a slave. Uh, people could work themselves back out of slavery. It's a different type of uh, socioeconomic system in that day. But what you need to understand is that this Colossian letter is being carried by a guy named Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Okay, good. Onesimus is a runaway slave. And in his bag, he's carrying a letter to a guy named Philemon, who probably lived in this area. And Philemon was his slave master. So this is personal. So what we're about to read, it's very personal. Uh, at any given time, they believe that in the Greco-Roman world, two, uh, a third, two-thirds two of the entire nation, entire empire, were slaves. So this is practical, but I want you to read it not just as, because some of you, and I'm not a slave in this room, a slavery definitely still exists today, um, but you are employees. And so what we're going to read here applies to you, whether you're an employee or a boss. You hear what I'm saying? And it's going to apply to you as a parent. So let's get into it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Take your index finger. Let's head into it. It says, bond servants, obey in everything those who, who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance 
as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Okay, so the expectation for bond servants, for these slaves, or for employees is the same as for kids. You are to obey in everything, which doesn't mean that your bosses can ask you to send, and therefore you got to obey. A lot of you have had to leave jobs because they were asking you to do things that had no integrity and are not what God asked you to do. So it's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is this, that if you are a Christian in this room, and you're an employee, the way that you work should be totally different than your peers and other managers and other bosses. It should be different. It's kind of like spy movies. Anybody in here like a good spy movie? It's been a while since we had a good spy movie, right? Okay. Uh, apparently none of you do. I do. So if you're listening to this online, just listen. The entire room didn't raise their hand. It's just a weird group of people. Spy movies. You, know, you guys know how it goes, right? Spy movies. You don't know who's working for who, right? And so there's always that point in the movie where they're like, one guy's like holding on to another guy and he's screaming in his face like, who do you work for? Who do you work for? Right? Like just screaming, you for the Russians, you know? Whatever the case may be. The difference between Christian employees and regular employees is who we really work for. Who we really work for. For. Paul says we serve earthly masters, and he says earthly because he's making it a distinction uh, because we also work for a heavenly master. If you're a boss in the room, if you manage people, it applies to you. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We've got a master in heaven. Who is this master in heaven, and how the heck did he become our master? How did that happen? Well, he became our master when one day we began to discover all that he did for us, all that he is doing for us, all he, that he will do for us, and we placed our trust in this master. Who's y'all's master? What would you call him? Jesus, God. He's our master. I want to read to you. Why would we trust this guy? Well, let's just read all it says about this master and what he's done for us just in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Why is he our master? Let me read this. This is what it says. Okay? He gave us hope. He showed us the truth of God's grace. He qualified us. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, which means domain of lies, and transferred us into the kingdom of light, truth. He redeemed us and forgave us. He is the image of God. He created everything. He holds everything together. He rose from the dead. He reconciled us to God by making peace between us. He sent us messengers. He revealed that through faith and trust in him, Christ Jesus enters into us. He is fully God and he is in us. He cut, us, uh, cut off the power of the old life. He made us alive with Jesus, forgiving our trespasses and forgiving our sin debt. He disarmed all the spiritual evil by triumphing over them. Hallelujah. That's just two chapters of the Bible. That's just two chapters of Colossians. We've got a heavenly master. What is this saying? It means, guys, we have a master who is higher, richer, more wonderful, more trustworthy than any master on earth, regardless of who we serve and when we serve him. And that is who truly our master is. And so we serve him first through these opportunities called our jobs in a way where our bosses and our coworkers look at us and go, who do you work for? Really? Because I know it ain't Matt Scott. Who do you work for? That's what we're called to do. Now, 
Let's talk about why. If you develop this mindset of, I work for God first and foremost. I play on my college team for God first and foremost. I study at school for God first and foremost. Let's talk about how that will benefit you and everyone else. You guys want to see? Let's do it. Verse 22, bond servants obey in everything. Those are your earthly masters. The first thing is this. Followers of Jesus are going to do what's asked of them in a unique way. And this is good for you. It's good for the business. It's good for the team. It's good for the job. It's good for your coworkers. It's good for your boss. It's good for everybody. Has anybody in here ever worked at a place where the employees won't work? Anybody? It's horrible. It's incredibly annoying. Ever play for a team where somebody won't put out? It always, always has an impact on everybody else. But the opposite is true. When an employee shows up, puts out, works as a teammate, everyone is blessed. Trust is built. The culture will shift. Lazy employees, lazy teammates will be exposed in the process. And the whole environment will get better. Church, students, moms, dads, employees, listen to me. This is your job at your job. To do the job and to do it well. We're called to do it really well and to get after it because you're working for Jesus which leads to the second thing you're going to work and you're going to do what's asked of you but verse 22 not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord okay so what this means is is you're not working to please your boss some of you going oh thank goodness right because mascot's horrible to work for he's just bumming around on his leg I don't know if he's truly injured right? I don't even know if Matt's here. Is Matt even here? I'm just making fun of him. He's not even here. I'm sorry, Matt, if you listen to this. This means that even when your boss is not there and your boss is not looking, you're still going to give your best effort. Why? Because the Lord sees you. Now, I know as bosses and as parents, you would love for me to convince your employees and your kids to, listen, God still sees you, right? You like that. But let me tell you why, if you're a son or a daughter, or if you're an employee and your boss is not around and knowing that God sees you, let me tell you why that should encourage you and not scare you. If you take a gospel perspective on that, let's look at that through the gospel perspective. When you were dead in your sin, when you were lost, when you were alone, when you were separated, church, you remember this? Those days where you felt at the bottom of the pit and you feel like no one saw you, God saw you. And he's the God who saw you then and still sees you now. And he's the God who loves you. That's why for the Christian, fearing the Lord does not mean something like being afraid of him. It's not what it means. It means that Jesus holds a higher and more respectable and reverent place in our hearts because he's the God who saw us then and sees us now. He's the God of Colossians 1 through 2 that we just read about. And he loves us. He loves you. He loves you, man. He loves you like crazy. So working for Jesus really should be, if you think about it, if you pause, you took a break once and thought about it, should be a tremendous privilege. And Paul is arguing here that it's a privilege that we should, that should have an impact, an effect on our work, regardless of who we work for, what environment we work for, and we should do it with sincerity of heart. I love this word sincerity in the Bible. It is so cool. It comes from a Greek word, haplateti. Give that a shot. 
Hapliteti. It's just super weird, but I love it. What it really means, you see this word used three different ways in the New Testament, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. It means, if I could find in my notes, it means it's generosity, sincerity, which is singleness of mind, and simplicity. That's what that means. Generosity, sincerity, and simplicity. Think about how sweet it would to have a boss that you could describe like that. Man, he's just generous. He's sincere. He just keeps things simple. Anybody want to work for somebody like that? Anybody want an employee like that? Anybody want your parents to be that way? Anybody want your kids to be that way? Man, hapliteti. We should put that on a shirt. It's a person who is generous at work. It's a person who means what they're saying and is really focused on what they're doing. It's a person who keeps things simple, or better put, doesn't seek to make things complicated or dramatic. Let's just keep it simple. Right? Let's just run the single mind. Let's stay focused. It's amazing. I love that. Third, you see, you're starting to see how this would make things better for everyone involved when Christians do this. Third, as followers of Jesus, whatever you do, work, verse 23, uh, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You, you, you live for something bigger than this. You live for something bigger than a paycheck, bigger than food on the table, bigger than a house, bigger than a car or a truck. And your trucks are big, and it's bigger than that. This basically means that you're going to get after it, and your heart's going to be in it. You're going to work hard, with heart, for more than a boss and for more than a paycheck. Because we Christians, we don't work for bosses. We work for Jesus. And working for Jesus should cause our bosses to go, who do you work for? I know you work for me. But they don't, you're not like the rest of my employees. Where did you come from? Can I get more of you? He's like, well, it's from Jesus. You got heart. And work is good, y'all. Work is good. God designed us to work. Jesus spent 17 years working as a carpenter. Where are my carpenters and builders at? He's just like you. 17 years that man did that stuff. He only gave us three years of ministry. It just tells us that work is good. It is good. And we are meant to be in it in a good way way, which leads me to the fourth and final sub-point of this second section, okay? And it's really important you hear me say this because it's, this is something that's true and you need to hear it. Not all Christians are working for God in their work. Not all believers have a reputation of making the job site a great place to be. Some of you are not making the job site a great place to be, and yet you take the name of Jesus. Not all customers are in love with the way that we Christians treat them or treat each other. Not all bosses are impressed with your association with Jesus because they see the way you work and there's no integrity, you're lazy, and when they're not looking, you won't get the job done. When the coach walks away, you won't do all the reps. They're not impressed. Now, let me just tell you something. If you're working hard and you're being faithful, faithful does not mean perfect. There's no perfect person in this room. No imperfect, there's no perfect employee or boss in this room who are believers. But if you're trying to be faithful, you're doing the best you can, you really are, then listen, if people are not pleased with you, it's okay. The reality is if you were perfect, they still wouldn't be okay with it. Look at Jesus. The man was perfect and they killed him. You don't live for them, you live to please God. But if you take the name of Jesus and your work isn't really for the Lord with sincerity, generosity, simplicity, hard work, and a Christian character, listen, the letdown 
for your classmates, your teammates, your peers is going to be twice that of the, your peers doing the same thing. The letdown when we Christians do not walk as Christians in the workplace will be twice, if not ten times more of a letdown. And not only will it make you look bad, but you will make the name of Jesus look bad. Do you hear that? Why? Because you work for Jesus. They'll be surprised when you really do it, and they won't be surprised when you really don't. But the letdown is going to be huge. And people who would have received great work and could have, that could have stirred their curiosity to look at you and go, who do you really work for? They're going to be disgusted by you, and worse, they're going to be disgusted by Jesus. So this leads us to the last thing I want to talk about, living for God and how it changes everything. I want to talk about some steps, okay? The reality is I just shared this with you, and as children, as parents in the room, as bosses, as employees, as husband and wives, this whole message applies to every person in this room in some form or fashion. And I guarantee you, every single one of you, uh, there's probably some areas in your life where you're not killing the game in this, in this way. Am I right? Anybody? It's me. As a dad, this just wrecks me and convicts me. So I want to give you three steps. How can we as a church take steps towards doing this well? How can we take steps to doing this well? Step number one. The first thing that we need to do as a church, in church, Outpost Community Church, we should be the best at this. Because we talk about it all the time. We need to own our mistakes. Our own personal mistakes. We need to own them. Okay? We need to own where we're falling short as wives, husbands, children, parents, bosses, and employees. We need to own it. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. This thing that's going on, it's, just not a, it's not just a misstep. There's something not right in you. There's something sick in you. You're trying to do something with your job and with your family that's not God's best. And so we need to own it. So the first place we own it is with our other believers. But here's what I want to tell you guys. Listen to me right now. If you work for somebody who's not a Christian or you work with others around you who are not believers, I want you this week, if you have not been working and operating in a way that honors Jesus, I want you to go this week and go, hey, I want to ask for your forgiveness. Because the way I've been working has not represented who I've really worked for very well. Would you please forgive me? I want to do it differently. Your boss may not know Jesus, but what do you think is going to happen if you go take that step? I know one man this past week when we were putting together the message, he goes, man, I had to do that this week. And his boss was blown away. Boss doesn't know Jesus, and his boss was like, what? Who do you work for? Because faithful men are not perfect men. They're men who will do what faithful men do even when they make mistakes, which is own it. So first thing we need to own it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5 says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Guys, we don't operate in our jobs and as parents the old way or the way our parents did it. We operate as new creations in Jesus because God has reconciled us to himself. He's given us a ministry and a message of reconciliation. And in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says that, therefore, we are ambassadors of Jesus, God making his appeal through us. So we implore others on behalf of Jesus to be reconciled to God. The way we work, the way we parent, the way we operate, it should be as ambassadors of Jesus. If you're putting in nails, right, you're working on somebody's taxes, 
You're finishing out these finals. You're working out. It doesn't matter. You're doing it as a way that's an ambassador of Christ. Because we want to be 1 Corinthians 11, 1 type men and women. We want to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? Church? Or do you? Just admit it and, know, and remember. Remember the God of Colossians 1 and 2 who loves you, who forgives you of all the sin and all your mistakes. Just confess him and that's the beginning. Second step is this. Bring your community in for encouragement and accountability. Bring your community in for encouragement and accountability. If you are in a community group, you need to bring them in and you need to let them know where you've been failing, where you've been missing, where you've been making mistakes. Bring them in. If you don't have a community group and you're not a member here at Outpost, man, if you've got some Christian friends, bring them in. Have them over for lunch. You buy their lunch. You say, hey, I just want to tell you, I need some help with this. Because Hebrews 3.13 tells me this. It says, encourage one another every day. As long as it's called today. Is today called today? Okay, so today, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Every day, as long as it's called today, that you may not grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, we need encouragement every day. If you're in a community group and you guys are not trying to text each other and encourage each other every day, what are you doing? Do it. Encourage one another. We need it. Man, August Dewey texted me this past week, and it was just like out of the blue. So I just want to encourage you. She just gave me this encouragement. I was just like, wow. It really meant the world to me. It meant a lot to me. So August, if you're in here, thanks. Um, it was awesome. Guys, text each other, reach out to each other. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, you're doing it right now. You guys are, this is a community. You're gathered together. It says, uh, <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 20, 20, 24, and 25, it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together. Good job. We're getting together, right? Like is the habit of some is what it says. If you miss a Sunday, don't worry. We're not going, oh, where are they at? Right? We're not thinking that. But there needs to be a consistent gathering in your life where you're being encouraged, you're being held accountable. Now, here's the third step. And for the love of Pete, listen to this step. It will change your life in this life and the next. Start approaching your day with an expectation for bigger things in the normal things. Let me read it again slowly. Start approaching your day with an expectation for bigger things in the normal things. Every morning, I want you to wake up and I want you to read Matthew 6, to yourself. I want you to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things I need today, everything I'm going to work for today, he's going to provide it. But I'm going to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. When your feet, you turn, they hit the floor, you go, God, what do you want from me today? I want to seek you today. It's for you. In my job, with my kids, when I'm making breakfast, when I'm studying the Bible, when I'm connecting with my community, when I'm sending an encouraged text out to Greg or to that guy or to this gal, I want to seek you. You're going to do that. And then Colossians 4.2, you're going to start applying that to your life. And Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does that mean? It basically means this. You're going to get up and you're going to start praying like, God, I want to see you today. I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for that person. I'm praying for this person. And I'm going to watch to see you answer it with thanksgiving. I'm looking for you to move, God. I'm praying for it. Four years ago, I walked around that Grace Baptist building in the snow. My feet were like, there's footprints in the snow. Okay? There was a door that was opening. I'm confessing this publicly. And I went in. All right? I guess I didn't break in, but I did enter in. And I walked around. You know what I did? Check this out. Four years ago, I never, I didn't even gone to Texas yet. And I said, God, would you put the church back in this empty building? Four years ago. Four years ago, I get to stand here today and say, I get to preach grace in that building. 
because of what God is going to do. I'm watching with thanksgiving. I don't give a care about that building. But the fact that I get to watch you guys be God's people in that building is answered to four years ago, Greg. Hallelujah. My day is lifted. I'm looking for God in the normal things to do bigger things. Are you? I'm not saying this is a health, wealth, prosperity guy. I'm saying that's what our God does. None of y'all are as pumped as I am, man. I'm going to flip this thing. <laughs> and that's what leads me to this. For four years, regardless of opinions, regardless of people's thoughts, regardless of my wife or my kids or my sin or my hang-ups or your sin, your hang-ups, and your wife and your kids and your jobs, we need 1 Corinthians 15, 58 type people. We hit the floor with our feet. We say, God, it's your kingdom that I seek. I'm praying for these opportunities. I'm looking for you in it, and I'm going to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord my labor is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Start waking up realizing you don't have to be Greg Brooks to do something great for the kingdom of God. God's going to do great things in your normal things, in your normal little family. He's going to do great things in your normal little job. There are people in this room who know Jesus, which is abnormal, because other people were just living abnormally, working for somebody else in a normal job. The question is, moms, dads, sons, daughters, will you make the decision to trust that God is good and his ways are great and you're going to follow him? Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome. And your ways are not our ways. Our plans are not always your plans. Your, our steps are not always your steps. A man may plan his way, but Lord, you set the steps. And if humanity would have had our way, we would have burned the whole thing down. But Jesus, when the whole world thought you had abandoned them, after 400 years of silence, you didn't just see us, you sent your son to be with us, to be among us, to dwell, to work, to bleed, to eat, to hurt, to feel so that we could have a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses, who knows what it's like to lose a dad, who knows what it's like to have brothers, who knows what it's like to have a mom. And you set an example. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to not get caught up in our sin and our failures, in our guilt and our grief, but God, we would entrust our whole lives to you. Jesus, where we don't want to follow you, where we, where we don't want to seek your face, I pray you would help us. Help us to trust you in the pain and in the excitement, in the normal days, and in the hardest days we've ever experienced in our lives. Help us to work for you and you alone, knowing that there's a day coming where we are inherit something far greater than we could ever do for ourselves. And as we stand in worship, I pray you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us.